Obviously, I dropped out of school. Anything business-wise or like what looked like a real job or to make actual money outside of getting lucky and booking the movie or the Broadway show, I was like, there, there was nothing in my history that said I was going to be good at any of this because I quit stuff really easy, you know? And so I got in there and I was still struggling because I still saw Fat Jimmy when I looked in the mirror. There was still a lot of it, like a mental things. And so I had a mentor early on that said, cool, Jimmy, what are you reading? What are you listening to? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, in the morning, what do you do when you wake up? I'm like, I don't know, I throw on ESPN or I put the news on or... He's like, I'm gonna challenge you to read 10 pages of a good book a day. And I'm like, dude, I, reading me, outside of a script, I'm like, ah, it's just not my jam. He's like, I didn't ask if it was your jam. He's like, 10 pages. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. Are you constantly chasing the next version of yourself? I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, we are talking about drive, ambition, turning our lives around, beach body fitness, acting in New York City, and storytelling. And before we get into this episode, I want you to be the best version of you, to live your best life. And that all starts by heading over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and giving us a five-star review and rating. Look, by this point in our lives, we all know that algorithms rule the world. And as such, Apple and Spotify use these ratings as part of the algorithm that determines ratings on their charts. Go show that algo who's boss and rate this podcast. Own the algorithm. Don't let it own you. Thank you for your reviews. I do appreciate it. Today's guest is Jimmy Nelson, better known as Coach Jimmy. Jimmy is an international speaker, speaker coach, and storytelling expert, and I'm particularly excited about today's show because I've worked alongside Jimmy, previously judging speaking competitions, as well as recently I've been coached by Jimmy as I'm developing my public speaking game. And Jimmy's unique skill is helping his clients to seamlessly connect their personal stories to their product or service, creating a strong know, like, and trust factor. Using his 20-plus years of experience as a stage and film performer, he has shared his own personal story of being a former 100-pound overweight, three-time college dropout to successful entrepreneur, and now dedicates his life to helping professionals craft their own stories to attract and impact the lives of their ideal audiences, much of which we'll hear in today's episode. He is a sought-after keynote speaker, MC, and event host, now honing his expertise as a virtual MC as well. Thank you, coronavirus pandemic. He has dedicated his life to helping people live a life well-crafted, and as Coach Jimmy says, create a story, change the world. And this is his story. I am here with Jimmy Nelson, also known and more fondly known to me as Coach Jimmy. I prefer that much more than, than Jimmy Nelson. And, and Jimmy is an international speaker and story coach. So if you listen to this show, you know there's are two things that are near and dear to my heart. I'm currently working quite a bit on my speaking, and I, I love stories. So I know we are going to have an awesome conversation here today with Jimmy. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. I've been looking forward to this all day. Well, before even just today, this is a conversation with you is one I feel is way overdue. So this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm super excited. Jimmy and I were just talking. What's really special uh, about this conversation today is Jimmy and I have had the chance to work together several times in different capacities, but most recently, like Jimmy coaching me on my 
my talk and, and my story. And so, you know, I'll just start off by saying it's, it's not a question. It's more of a comment that, and maybe we can talk about this, that even people that are seen as experts in one field still need to be coached by mutual experts in that field. So, you know, everyone knows that I, I love story and I'm really into it, but having someone like Jimmy and his perspective allows me to see things that I can't see and uh, reveals blind spots and just another perspective. So it's going to be really fun to, to have a conversation. And so as we get into it, Jimmy, when you were growing up, first of all, where'd you grow up? West Texas. West Texas. And when little Jimmy was running around West Texas, what was life like for you? Did you always want to be an international speaker? Uh, this whole thing sets up so nicely because it was. It was in first grade that this whole thing started. First grade, West Texas in Lubbock, Texas, uh, Murphy Elementary School. The entire elementary school was, we were doing like a Christmas play and every grade got a different number. And uh, my first grade class, we got picked to do this musical number called Too Fat for the Chimney. This was the early 80s, and there was no childhood obesity epidemic. I was the fat kid in my class. And I just thought, I was the fat kid in my class. And I think at the time, I think I was the only kid I knew who came from like a, a family that had split up. So there just wasn't a really super confident kid. But I thought, yo, this is a this is a story about Santa Claus. Here's my big break. But uh, they actually cast my best friend, Justin Martin, who was the skinniest kid in class to be Santa, wrapped a bunch of pillows around him. Stuck him upstage with all my friends in like these Jane Fonda 1980s headbands and leg warmers. And they did basically a step aerobics number upstage. Me, uh, they put me in this ridiculous, like, like long john feety pajamas with the drop bottom and the stupid little stocking cap. Pushed me out to the edge of the stage to sing the solo, the two, uh, too fat to the chimney. And I was terrified. And I just wanted to be up there with my friends and some kind of like, hey, we can do all this together. And something happened in that moment, man. I opened my mouth, I started singing, and I got like a nod and a smile. And it was literally like the first time I got a positive response from a peer group. And when I look back on this entire storytelling thing, you know, obviously you don't know that in the moment in first grade, but I can look back at that moment and thought, that's where it became really clear to me that I just wanted to be able to get an emotional response from an audience was way back in the day, West Texas with fat little Jimmy in pajamas singing to, you know, the rest of the elementary school. Why, why is that so important to you, having an emotional response? Like, what do you think that does for you? And, and wh wh why, like, seeing that and chasing that? How did that fill you up? It gave me some sense of significance. There was a, there, there was a power piece there. I feel that way now when I get on the stage. I look, you know, somebody hands me a mic. It's almost like my weapon, right? It's, it's, my, it's my weapon of choice. And when I can look out in an audience and I see a nod or I can click in and I can see when somebody's really connected, man, there's something that just, there's this sense of pride that comes over. And I think for that little kid, there was a lot of things that didn't feel like I, I was making a difference. And even going forward, thinking I wanted to be a performer and not being able to go to the colleges that I wanted to go to and always feeling like the deck was stacked against me. I had this growing up after that point, I had this real bad, what I call kind of a victim mentality, which I got really good at explaining why other people were achieving things and how it was easier for them and why this was harder for me. And, and it was always like, well, I have to work twice as hard to get somewhere I have to. And so I really, I created this really kind of BS story in my head about how things are harder for me. And it was like this badge of honor. And so I kept thinking, well, I'm going to continue to fight because I know that I want that. I want to feel that significance that I felt on stage in the first grade. I want to make a difference. And it really wasn't until I found myself in my like early twenties, I was a hundred pounds overweight. I dropped out of college three times. My mom had called me and said, Hey, we see all like the collection agencies sending stuff to the house. And we think you should move home. And that was the most humiliating piece at 22 years old, moving back home, wanting to like bow up and tell my mom, no, this is my fight. This, you know, this is me against the world. And I was just, I just surrendered, man. I was just like, nope. Okay. I'm going to move home. And that, you know, you ask, why does it matter so much to me? Why, what that significance piece is. And to go from that give up moment to where I be, where I am now. And, and I know where that shift happened because I stopped performing. I stopped speaking. I stopped chasing that seed that was in that first grade Jimmy. And I was bartending. I was, we moved here to Dallas where I am now. 
And I remember I was just getting ready for another like lunch shift. It was like, you know, Groundhog's Day. And I stepped out of the shower, wrapped the towel around me and stopped in front of the mirror. And I just thought, I just didn't respect that guy. And I, Mark, I literally thought it as cheesy as it sounds. I just thought, who's going to love this? I'm like, who wants to follow this guy? Like, this is you, Nelson, at 22. And there was no like, well, you're a young kid, like you're an adult. And I think that was the pivot moment for me. And everything didn't change the next day. But that's where I was like, I took full responsibility to where I was and stopped pointing fingers and go, look, I've gone from Dallas to Oklahoma to Florida at the time. And the same problems kept following me. And it wasn't until I had that moment in the mirror and was like, look, where you are right now today is a thousand percent your responsibility and your fault. So you've got a thousand percent to change it. And that's, you know, 15 years later, I'm sitting here talking to you and started taking those steps to change it. Yeah. So like what happened between first grade Jimmy, who's upstaging Justin Martin, who I, I wonder where he is today, <laughs> I know, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, first grade Jimmy and 22 year old Jimmy, who's looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not where I want to be. Like what kind of happened in between there? Cause it sounds like you had some, you had some successes, some wins, some, some ups, but also some downs. Like what was, what was going on? Like what, when you were going through like high school, were you thinking like, Hey, like I'm going to, I'm going to take the world by storm and be a performer. There was the want to be a performer, but as far as take the world by storm, no. And it's crazy because there are times this version of me forgets how I used to think, but literally in high school, I remember telling a, it was either a teacher or a guidance counselor. They were asking about goals. And I said something along the, the effects of, yeah, I don't set a whole lot of goals because I just don't want to be disappointed or let myself down. And knowing the animal that I am now, I really thought that was like a responsible way to live. I'm like, well, that's safe. You're never going to be disappointed. Why put yourself out there? Why, why set an actual metric? Because all you're doing is setting yourself up for disappointment. And that's really how I went through high school. And when it became apparent that I, I wanted to perform, but my mom would say things like, hey, Jimmy, and I also knew I wanted to perform and I, I was really specific. Okay, I want to go learn from the best. I, I did have that in me. I wanted to be teachable. I wanted to learn from the best. And she's like, hey, we don't even have the money for you to go audition for these schools, much less go. And again, that's where this like seed of resentment just came. And I felt like there was this VIP rope in life that I wasn't allowed across. Like, hey, all these other people get up to go on the other side of this thing. They get to pursue, they even get, and it was like, I didn't even get to try. Like, like the dream was shut down before I even got to go in and try to fail because I wasn't even given access to go audition or do any of those things. And, and, and that's really where that guy was in 22. Cause you know, I went to a two-year school here and then I transferred to the university of Oklahoma and then ran out to Florida. And it was like, anytime things got hard, I ran. So I, it was this kind of fight or flight. I would like, and I, and I'd always have some great excuse why it wasn't my fault. I would move, but the same issues followed me wherever I went until that moment in the mirror. And then, so you have this switch, you have this moment. What's sort of the flip look like? What, what's the other side look like? Like, what was the first step you took after having that realization? I, I keep this, uh, I keep this note here on my, uh, on my computer that looks at me all the time. And it, and it says, uh, are you willing to be willing? And it's just a reminder to me because that was the shift up to that point. I wasn't teachable. It wasn't that people hadn't tried to help me before, whether it be, you know, the fact that I was heavy, whether it would have been professionally, I, for some reason, I just was really quick on, on to explain, explain, I was really good at explaining why that wasn't going to work for me. Yeah, that works for you. This isn't going to work for me. This is why things. And I think that shift was willing to be willing to not immediately judge something before trying without, I wasn't ever willing to do the work before. I wasn't willing to be coachable. I wasn't willing to look at things a different way. I wasn't willing to be open-minded. I had already decided how things are or what's already harder, won't, won't, what won't work for me. And so it was a combination of that and then looking around and thinking, well, what, what is already in my world that I can start with? You know, so if I'm looking at, you know, physically, it's like, cool, you can go walk around the block. You can go start jogging. Oh, you've been given certain books about mindset or, you know, ultimately things about storytelling or, or things and acting things that you're not even taking advantage of the resources that you have with you for free right now. And it was just these tiny little baby steps. I never 
during this entire journey, there was never this huge overhaul. And I think that's what I attribute my long-term success to. It was take a baby step, change something small, watch, give it some time before you try to take on the next thing, see the results, see the benefits of that, master that, then take on the next piece, then take on the next piece. If I I had tried to jump from 22-year-old Jimmy in the mirror to the way I think or the way I operate my life now in this huge gap, it wouldn't have stuck. And I see that in mistaken people all the time, whether it's with a a nutrition diet situation where it's like, hey, I'm going to completely revamp everything or whether it's in their mindset or in their business, they think they have to, it's zero or 100. And man, I'm saying I'm here because I went zero to 0.5, 0.5 to one. And so I really, I don't know that I, it was a plan to think long-term, but I know it's benefited me. Yeah, totally. And and it's interesting. Like I, I so resonate with that. Like I, I, the phrase I always use is the game of inches, you know, it just, I always feel like even when we're doing speaking or whatever it is in my mind, I think I'm going to have this quantum jump, but it's actually like these little, little iterative steps to get to where we are. But it's interesting because my perception of you now, certainly I didn't know you at 22, but the way you describe that 22 year old Jimmy is like night and day to the Jimmy I know today, because I would classify you like if I had could only like say three words. I mean, one of the things that I would say about you, like you're, you're dedicated, you're committed. You are a you are a hard worker, right? Like you're, you're a grinder. And do you think that that commitment, that that kind of relentless commitment to work? And when I say work, I mean, you know, self-development, uh, if you, you can't really see Jimmy on the video right now, but Jimmy is extremely fit. Physical fitness is, is, is a passion of his. It's not natural. He works his tail off at it. And, um, and, and, and same with, with work, but I mean, what I'm sensing, this is a direct reflection of, you know, of that in, in inspired by that 22 year old Jimmy. I mean, do you think about that? Are you scared? I mean, is one of the reasons you continue to grind because you're scared of regressing back to 22 year old Jimmy in the mirror? It's not scared of regression. It's, I don't know my potential. And I, it, what scares me is not knowing that guy. Right. And so if let's take weight loss as an example. You know, I had a decade career in, in health and fitness with Beachbody, right? Lost 100 pounds. And then I worked with so many people. And most of the people I worked with were trying to recapture some former version of themselves, right? Oh, if I could only look the way I did in high school. Oh, man, it, I was kicking in college. And they were chasing some former version of themselves. Dude, I, and the, the other part that was hard for them is, they never had to deal, they never had to live with the consequences of their choices when they were young because their metabolism was higher. They could eat whatever they want to, right? I lived with the consequences of all my crappy decisions throughout my childhood, whether that be my mindset, physically, all those things. I lived with that guy until 22, 23 years old. So when I started making these changes and I saw the benefits of doing something differently, I became obsessed with what else is possible? Where can I go from here? What's the next thing? And so it isn't so much scared of becoming the guy that I was. It's a fear of never becoming the guy that I could be. Because right now at 43 years old, I've never felt better. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm in a, you know, I'm I, career-wise, I'm having a blast. I'm stepping into new and exciting places. I'm, I'm on stages that these virtual cool stages that I've never been on before, it's like the next thing. And I don't want to stop this ride. And so I show up every morning excited because I feel like I'm being, everybody is rewarded in public for what they do in private. And so this grinder mentality that you know of me now, this guy that gets up early and I'm very regimented now, like my routine is a huge deal to me. I tell people all the time, I feel I live the life of freedom that I do because somewhere along the way, I chose to become a slave to a few daily things that just are non-negotiables for me now. And so no longer is it about getting ready, it's staying ready. So when that opportunity knocks, you jump and you go for it. And so no, it's I'm not scared of going back to the dude I was. It's what if I never, what's next? You know, it's been so cool, this journey so far. And it's a lot of hard work and there's been ups and downs and all the things, but it's chasing that next version of me. How will you know when you've sort of reached your potential? You don't, you know, and I think somewhere along, if I can go back to my acting thing, I, I had a, I had an acting mentor 
that really ingrained to me, Jimmy, until you learn to fall in love with the process over the performance, you're always going to be kind of disappointed. And somewhere along the way, I, the same way I did in acting classes or, you know, working on a play or it wasn't about opening night. It was all the little trying to figure out who this character is, who this person is and showing up daily and trying things and, you know, the, the wins and the losses and trying so well, that didn't work. And so it became this analogy for my entire life of instead of looking for a time where I can put it in cruise control, you know, I, I, I thought that in my business forever. Oh, when I get, when I start making this much money or I've helped this many people, I can throw it in cruise control and just coast. And then I would reach whatever metric that was. And it would never feel like what I thought it was going to feel like. I, I was proud of myself. I took time to celebrate, but then there was just the next horizon, the next challenge. And so that's a great question. I don't know that we ever know when we're going to arrive, but I love chasing the next version of me. And so it, 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 it isn't this burden to me. It isn't this, oh, well, you know, I got to keep grinding because I find, I find ways to celebrate along the way. I see this all the time. People don't take the time to celebrate these little victories. Um, if people watch me on my, um, especially on my social media, my Instagram, you'll see a lot of my workouts, right? On my Instagram stories. And after a lift, I tend to, I'll get up and I tend to pat my leg. And I was like, what's, what's the leg pat? And I heard a story, a pastor tell this story one time about how um, he was playing tennis and his, his, his tennis instructor said, man, you're really hard on yourself every time you do something wrong, but you have like a great forehand and I never see you celebrate the things you do well. He's like, well, there's always something else to work on. He said, yeah, true. He said, but if you never celebrate the things that you do well, and he's like, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't want to make a big deal about it. I don't want a big, you know, Tiger Woods fist pump. He's like, we got to find a way for you to at least acknowledge these little things you're doing. And so what they found for him was this little tap on the leg. And I really took that to heart and started finding ways in my life, whether that's physically, whether that's business-wise, working with the next client, whatever that thing is to go, dude, Jimmy, you showed up today. Good job. Win or loss, like you, man, you gave it a, you showed up and took a swing today, you know? And so Pat, and, and, and give yourself a little bit of recognition because I think that's where people burn out because they never do take the time to take, you know, celebrate these little victories. I love that. So it's such an awesome little nugget there, this idea of giving yourself a, a device or a way of, of, of having muscle memory for celebration like that. That's, that's yeah. so, that's so cool. I love it. So let, like, let's just kind of go back. So you had this awakening, you had this moment, you're a bartender. For some reason, I'm imagining like you're tending bar at Chili's or something like that. It was probably cooler, but, or, you know, Not wearing, really. wearing, it's, it's wearing, pretty similar. Yeah. Wearing your flair or whatever. But, um, so, so you, you have this flip and you start looking forward. What do you want to do? Like what's, what's, What's the dream? What's the plan? Man, that's what a great question. I think it's continued to, it's continued to morph, right? So, you know, I was so thankful when that shift happened, when I was bartending, I was waiting tables, bartending with this guy that I, I had gone to school with his cousin in Lubbock. And this dude, I, I started watching him lose weight, right? And this is where, especially with a lot of the a lot of my female clients, I say, man, when it comes to marketing and branding and stuff, I was like, you ladies, y'all have it down so much better than we do because y'all are great at sharing and asking each other questions, right? Like, oh, what's that makeup? How's this work? You know? So I'm watching my buddy lose weight. And we, as guys, don't just roll up and go like, yo, Mark, you're looking pretty good in those jeans, buddy. What are you doing? Like, we watch somebody else have what we want and this stupid male ego won't allow us to ask and so finally I asked him, you know, and, and he's telling me he's doing these in-home workouts. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I go back to, this is where I'm still reverting back to old Jimmy. I'm like, oh, that didn't work. And, and it's so crazy because as I've been in business for 15 years, it's amazing to me that we see somebody that has a lifestyle we want, doing something well in a business, has a podcast that's kicking ass. And so we go, we either never ask or we, we already have a story in our head about how why it's easier for them or why I could never do what they do or, oh, they started with 100,000 followers or 1 million downloads. Like it's always been this way for them, which it hasn't. But let's say we finally swallow our ego and ask. And then they tell us something and they were like, oh, that won't work. And it, it, it's fascinating to me how we as people want to eliminate ourselves from what worked for somebody else. And I, and I think for me, 
what I want to do now is I just want to find the people that are hungry like I became hungry. And the people I love working with is not the person that hears me and says, Jimmy, you're a great speaker, or yeah, I've heard that before. That's a great tip, or wants to turn around and tell somebody else why, oh, I heard Jimmy say this, you should do that. I, what lights me up is the person that goes, dude, I heard what you said. I went and put it into action the past seven days. And let me tell you how things have been better. Let me tell you how I took these baby steps that you taught me and went forward, whether it's helping somebody like yourself craft a story. And then you come back and you're like, hey, I tried that on the podcast. I did that on an IG live. The last time I was on stage, I led with this story. And let me tell you how it changed. I think that that's now what I crave the most is just going and I want to feed the doers, the people that are hungry to take action. And that that's what lights me up all day long because, because at the end of working with those people, I'm never exhausted. You know, and I think that that's a big telltale for us to figure out where we're supposed to be is what's those things that, that we do that fills our bucket and doesn't drain us. Yeah. And it's nothing better when someone comes up and, and tells you how they, how what you said or what you talked about impacted their life. I mean, there's that, that's, oh, there's just, it, it just, so energetic. And like you said, it's a, it's a faucet versus a drain, but how do you handle those people that either give you harsh criticism or are like, look, like your talk stunk, like it didn't work. Or like, and I don't know if anyone's ever been that harsh, but like, I mean, even I get feedback where they're probably saying, Hey, this could use improvement. And I heard your talk sucked, but you know, the, you know, I'm much less better much less better at receiving, you know, that criticism than I am the praise. The praise is easy. Like it, that, that's what I'm looking for. But yeah. so how do you, ha- how do you handle that when someone might not be receptive to your message or your talk, or even if you bombed, right? I mean, we, we, yeah. all, we, we always don't come out and crush it. I think the first thing you have to do is you have to look at the source. Where is this criticism coming from? Right. It's do I res- is it somebody that I needed there? You know, it's different if I'm going to a coach or a mentor or somebody I respect and say, yo, be honest with me because my best mentors in my world, they've all had this double-edged sword. They weren't the person that told me I was the best, but I knew they were tough on me because of what they saw in me. Had they not seen any potential, had they not seen like these strands of potential greatness, they wouldn't have been hard on me. And so those people that gave me that feedback I was thankful for that, that kind of had that two ways of like, Hey, you're doing good, man. I, I, I'm definitely one that I respond to positive reinforcement. I'm, I'm not one of those guys that are motivated by somebody telling me I can't do something like, Hey, it, it comes more like this. I know you can do this and that effort's not getting you there. I will go run through a brick wall for those mentors, right? Like, yo, I see what your pop, your potential is and what you're doing right now is not going to get you there. And it's not the, you can't do it. But as far as like just public that doesn't resonate, I, I don't hear a lot of it, you know, and, and, and the people that just want to disagree with me, well, this is what I love about storytelling. I think stories are the greatest way to handle any objection, right? Somebody's like, yeah, Jimmy, but, you know, usually it's like, let's say I'm trying to get them into, you know, an offer, some kind of business or service or whatever. And, and there's like, yeah, I don't have time for that. Or, oh, I don't have money for this. or those things don't work. My favorite is like, yeah, I don't know about that. All I know is, and I tell a story. And you, you, you and I, we can debate about facts and figures all day long. You can't argue with my story. Doesn't mean you're going to convert. Doesn't mean you're going to be in my tribe or agree with me. But you can't argue with my story. And it just feels like it diffuses any of that negative feedback immediately. It's just like, yeah, I don't know about that. Let me tell you about Billy. And, and usually I will find a story, whether it's my own or somebody I've worked with that has the exact same pushback that that person just gave me. And I'm like, yeah, I- I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm going to tell you why Billy had the exact same situation you did and came out a winner on the other side. You know, hey, I know you don't have any time. Let me tell you about Billy who, you know, has three jobs and four kids and two are, you know, special needs. And he just, he, he built this business. Are you busier than Billy? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. You know, and I just, I just keep going. I just keep kind of just, it, it's becoming like this collector of stories. And that's usually where I combat those and, and just tell another story and keep moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. And that's such a powerful, powerful way to use stories. And I want to get to that in a second. But like, 
How did you even get into speaking? So I'm still like, you know, you've had this, you know, where we're at now is you're at the restaurant, you're checking out some guy's pants. Yeah. And uh, then he's saying he looks good in them. And you're like, hey, how did you, you know, lose some weight? Like, how'd you, how'd you end up into speaking? Yeah, that's a great question. So back to my buddy, you know, Jeremy at the, at the bar, he tells me, hey, I'm doing these DVDs, this at-home fitness stuff. And I, you know, I... I tell him no, but I keep watching him, right? I tell him, no, this is why it doesn't work. And then I keep watching and I keep watching. And finally, I'm like, cool, dude, let me start. And so that's where I was introduced to Beachbody. That was where my, that health and fitness part started. And so I started just, it was literally, you know, it was just two workouts. You just alternated every other day. And it was a baby step, right? It wasn't anything crazy. It was like, okay, there's a lot in my world right now. I can't control. I can push play on this DVD at the time. Uh, every day. This is these 30 minutes I can control. There's a lot of other things in my world. And so for me, it, it became some certainty. So baby steps and baby steps. And this is where I go to lose a hundred pounds. And as I transformed outside, inside, I started getting a little bit of that mojo back of that dream that that first grade Jimmy had to be on stage was reignited. And I started putting myself out there more and auditioning and doing theater here in Dallas to the point where I actually started working quite a bit and somebody said, well, why don't, why aren't you in New York city pursuing this? And I was like, I can't do that. And it was like, I needed somebody else to give me permission to go dream big. I was like, Oh, this is cute. I'm just going to do little, you know, community theater here in Dallas. And somebody's like, you're good. Like, why don't you go do, why don't you go try it? And, the, and so that was, and it just, it stopped me cold because I didn't have a good excuse. And so I made the jump. And while I was in New York city, pursuing this acting career. And I started, and it was funny because I kept dropping out of school. So what I said when I went to New York city is, Hey, I'm going to finish my, that city is going to be my bachelor's and master's degree. I'm going to go take acting and scene study classes with people that are literally working. You know, I go to class every Tuesday afternoon and people in that class were working on soaps or in Broadway shows. And I was super intimidated, but it was so cool about going to these shows and seeing people that were actually working and just going, they're, they're just better than me was watching them struggle with the same stuff I did. Watching them get up and completely suck at something one day. And I was like, oh. And I don't know if this sounds terrible to say that. That was more, that gave me more confidence watching people that had made it suck at something than anything I was doing any better. Because we get it in our head that the people that we're looking at, that we emulate or we want to be like them, we think they have it all figured out. We think that they don't struggle at anything. They think that everything they touch is gold and watching these people who were working actors still struggle with the scene or get really harsh feedback. The same feedback I was getting from the guy running the class. And again, you went back. Okay. So let's go, but you were saying, how do you know when you've made it? This is where I, I think I really did learn to fall in love with the process. It was like, Oh, those people didn't make it there. They, they, they're a step ahead of me, but they're still trying to get better. They're still trying to find the potential part of themselves and that comes with being coachable. It's, it comes with being able to get this feedback. And so in New York, I started to do this. And that's where the health and fitness business said, hey, Jimmy, I think you could do this as well. And so I would go to these events of different people that were losing weight. And usually I would get asked, like, who wants to, who wants to share a testimony? Who wants to tell a story? And because of my background in theater, I was usually one of the only people that wasn't terrified to talk in front of somebody. And so it was like me in front of five people that I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. So, you know, my name is Jimmy and I used to weigh hundred pounds or oh, used to be hundred pounds heavier. And so it was these little baby steps. And what I realized as my acting career that had some success ultimately wasn't going where I thought it was. And I'm spending days like passing out chocolates and doing these bullshit things, you know, to try to make ends meet in Times Square. And I'm looking at these billboards of like a Broadway show or the next movie. And I'm like, this is, don't they know this is how the story is supposed to end? Little first grade Jimmy comes to the big city and then he's on a billboard. And there was like this, this quiet whisper in my gut that said, Jimmy, stop waiting for other people to put you on their stages and go make your own, dude. And don't quit, quit, quit asking the gatekeeper to let you in this other world. And I realized that I got just as much fulfillment speaking on a stage seeing people's eyes light up or changing their belief system or taking action for the first time in their life, that lit me up just as much, if not more, 
than any musical or TV show or indie film or anything else I'd done. Because there I felt like I was, I wasn't just entertaining someone. I had the power to change somebody's life on a stage. And that's where it was like, cool. It was really easy to put the acting stuff behind me and go down this path where you know me now. A common question I get all the time is, Mark, can you help me with our brand? Yes, we help companies solve branding problems. And the first step would be to schedule a no-obligation brand clarity call. We'll link to that in the show notes or head over to wildstory.com and send us an email. We'll get you booked right away. So whether you're just getting started with a new business or whether you've done some work and need a refresh or whether you're a brand that's high performing and wants to stay there, we can help. After you book your brand clarity call, you'll learn about our brand audit and strategy process. We'll identify if you need a new logo or just a refresh. We'll determine if your business has a branding problem and you'll see examples of our work and get relevant case studies. We'll also see if branding is holding your business back and can help you get to the next level. So what are you waiting for? Build the brand you've always dreamed of. Again, we'll link to that in the show notes or head over to wildstory.com and send us an email. Now back to the show. So that's so interesting to me. So you're in New York and you had a clear vision at that point that you wanted to be on stages and a different kind of speaker rather than an actor. Had you seen, like, what was your model for that? Like, I, I you know, I think like for me, you know, for so long, my, my, my model of a speaker was like the bad motivational speaker from high school, you know, like I didn't have yeah. that much experience. And I actually don't think it was until, you know, I became an entrepreneur and I started going to conferences and things like that, that I saw this kind of whole different world. Like, Hey, you can speak and people can share things. And wow, like in an hour, you, you might learn something that might transform your business or your life. So what was your, like, how did you even know that existed? Like, what was your model for that? You know, I I didn't initially, I, I really, I'm thankful. I accidentally stumbled into my early career with Beachbody, right? Like I accidentally stumbled into network marketing. I didn't even know what it was, but what network marketing did for me is it introduced me to personal development. So I didn't know that like motivational speaking or any of the people that we think of that are the big wigs in that world, I didn't know that existed. But I had a lot physically outside. I had lost 100 pounds, but I had a lot to work on in my mindset. And so as I started trying to pursue this career, and the only reason I stumbled into it is because I'd had success with the products. I had a friend that said, hey, I think you'd be good at this. I never saw myself as a salesman. I had no like actual career experience. Obviously, I dropped out of school. Anything business-wise or like what looked like a real job or to make actual money outside of getting lucky and booking the movie or the Broadway show, I was like, there there was nothing in my history that said I was going to be good at any of this because I quit stuff really easy, you know? And so I got in there and I was still struggling because I still saw Fat Jimmy when I looked in the mirror. There was still a lot of it, like a mental things. And so I had a mentor early on that said, cool, Jimmy, what are you reading? What are you listening to? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, in the morning, what do you do when you wake up? I'm like, I don't know. I throw on ESPN or I put the news on, or he's like, I'm going to challenge you to read 10 pages of a good book a day. And I'm like, dude, I, reading me outside of a script. I'm like, uh, it's just not my jam. He's like, I didn't ask if it was your jam. He's like 10 pages. He's like, look at it the way you did your weight loss. He's like, can you give me 10 pages a day? And so the very first personal development book I ever read was The Slight Edge by uh, Jeff Olson, I think is his name. I have it here behind me. And, um, and so I was like, okay, I can do that. 10 pages a day. And so that's where I was introduced to this world of these authors and then eventually speakers that were having this impact that I knew I had in me somewhere, you know, and on a higher level than cool, you do a musical and somebody's super entertained for two hours and they're applauding at the end. You're like, gosh, you helped me escape my world for two hours. It was this flip of instead of helping you escape your life for two hours, what if I can help change your life over the next 30 minutes or the next keynote or the next 90 minute speech? And instead of just having you go, man, that was awesome. Now I'm going back to this life that I'm dissatisfied with. What if I actually give you steps and things you can take outside of this theater, outside of this room that can go with you? And 
that's again, it was step by step that where I realized, oh, this is a thing and people need this. And I, and I'm watching how people are reacting to me. And it really wasn't until I had other people again, pointing out, hey, you have a gift in this, you can do this. And it, it's no different than what I said before. You can do this if you're willing to do the work, right? You have potential in you, but you're not going to get there if, you, if you're just happy with where you are now. And I responded to that. And it was like, that was, that was the next step. And it was just saying yes to all these little stages. I don't think I ever thought, okay, I, someday I'm going to be on a virtual, I'm going to be on a stage in front of 5,000 people or 40,000 people or any of the stages that I've had an opportunity to be on. It was just saying yes to the next one. How can I be the best I can be for these people that are in front of me at the, at the time? And then continue to work on getting better until the next opportunity shows up. And it, you know, I know that's just, it's not sexy, but that's, that's literally was the step-by-step process. And then, you know, when somebody like Pete Vargas with Adventure Reach last December calls me and he's like, Hey, in four days, can you be in Vegas? We're doing an, a virtual event in this 360 degree stage with 15 foot high walls. It's a giant zoom interactive stage for 40,000 people in a hundred countries. I need you there in four days. Can you be there? There was no time to get ready. It's just, yes. And I can do that because like I said, I show up every day and you stay ready at some point. Like I like having this edge about me because I don't know when the next opportunity is going to, and what happens, you what happens if the, the thing that's going to maybe be the thing that your signature moment, your entire life comes and we weren't ready for it because you're, we're not always going to get two weeks to prep for things like this. And you were asking, do you have this fear of regressing? No, I am scared to death that my moment that's going to impact the world, my moment that's going to like introduce me to somebody that might change something that may flip the big domino, whatever, whatever legacy I get to leave on this world that that opportunity comes and I wasn't ready. And that's what keeps me going every day. Mm. You know, I so relate to your experience of how you, you know, term it, needing someone to give you permission to do different things. And when I look back throughout, you know, a lot of the, the inflection points of my life and, and I went back to my alma mater at, at University of Michigan and spoke about this. It was just like those little moments uh, where someone gave me permission and it was like, the slightest permission. It wasn't like, I give you permission, right? It was just like, right. hey, you can do this, or I see this in you. And, you know, I I don't see that as a bad thing. I I do see it like in myself. I'm like, ah, oh, why did I need that permission? But what I want people to take away from that is like, be the person that spots potential in others and know that by speaking up and giving that permission to others and telling someone that you see something in them or you believe in them, like, how much of an impact that can have. Cause I just, again, I know in my life, like I had a professor, it was like, Hey, I think you should go out to the movie business. That's like, that's all he said. It wasn't like he, you know, opened up doors for me or anything. And that's all right. it took. But before that, I, I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I can't do that. That's a crazy talk. I'm just some kid from, from Michigan. So thank you for sharing all that, Jimmy. As you think about all the work you've done and being prepped, you know, and, you know, for your moment and not letting that slip by, like, What's hard about speaking? Like, what don't we see? I mean, you talk a lot about what goes on behind the scenes. Like, what don't we know that it takes to, to be a good speaker? Yeah. I think for me, the, the toughest part about being a good speaker is that staying prepared and ready. But if I think about, if I, if I, if I use a Broadway actor as, as an example, if I go see a play that this person is doing eight times a week, it better not feel like they've done it eight times a week. I kind of need to live some of this with them for the first time. And I think for me, speaking is living in that fine line between preparation, but not becoming so stale. And I think we've all seen that speaker where you're like, man, this is now just coming across as a bad monologue. They said so many times they're no longer emotionally connected to it. And it's tough. And it's, that's what being a professional is. There are people that have been on Broadway stages and have been in shows for over a decade. Think about that. Over a decade doing the same show for eight times a week and having to relive it. And the audience has to come across as they're going through this for the very first time. I saw John Maxwell um, last year. I was at an event in Vegas. I saw that he was going to speak and I hadn't seen him in like five years on stage. I'm like, ah, love to hear what John's doing these days. And I sit down. 
And it was still, it was the same speech I had heard five years ago. And I was just as riveted. Like I went through the whole thing with him. Even it was like, it was like watching a great movie all over again. And I think what people don't realize is the amount of, to really be great at this, the amount of practice and preparation that the, the non-sexy standing up in my office, trying something new with maybe the same story. You know, sometimes it's the same story. It's like, can this be better? Can I tweak this? You know, early on, I wrote this down when you were giving me my intro and talking about how we'd work together, even storytelling in different mediums. Like I've been working on a written version of my story and it's been a, a completely different challenge because I literally, I took the transcription of one of my YouTube videos of my keynote. And I thought, oh, I just put it down here. And then as you start reading, you realize how much of what I do on stage does not translate to the page. And so it's, so, but in having to rewrite and make this story just as riveting for a reader, it's informed me different things I could be doing on stage for a story I've told a million times. And so I think what people don't see is you don't see the preparation. The people that just think, oh, once you're a good speaker, you just get up there and wing it. To an extent, yes, there are parts of me because I have done the basics so much. If I got thrown into something and had to riff off the cuff, I'm unable to do that. But if I just stop preparing from now for the rest of my career, I'm going to start getting worse. There is no treading water in life. We are getting better or worse at something. We are moving closer to a goal or further away. We are becoming fitter and healthier or more lethargic and sicker. We are getting smarter or dumber. Like there is no treading water. And I, I guess that's just what I want to get across to people is that it's these little tiny unsexy while nobody's around, they're easy to do, but they're easy not to do. Jim Rohn talks about that all the time. The keys to success are these simple little daily disciplines that are easy to do. The problem is they're also easy not to do. And most people aren't willing to show up every day without somebody making them to continue to try to get better every day. Absolutely. And so you've alluded to this several times, but I think, you know, what's unique about a lot of the work you do is you, you are so focused on story and storytelling in speaking. And as I've been kind of taking notes here, I've got all these like different Venn diagrams and your whole life has been, and, and I'm, and I'm that, that, that might be an extreme to say your whole life, but what I can gather is you're really talented at sort of mashing up disciplines and for example, you were able to, to mash up health and fitness into your into acting, and that became something a bit different, right? You're able to mash up your ability to perform and um, and, and speak and tell story, and, and it's and for me, it's like all these like different Venn diagrams of kind of like where you've been able to find this unique ability. And so, when you talk about storytelling, and I'm sure that wasn't something that always that you always saw as a tool, you might've been, you know, like for me, I was naturally good at it until like I learned about it. And then I was like, oh, and it's almost like once you learn about it, it's harder to, 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 to use it because it becomes this thing you want to, you know, be good at and be structured and understand how it works. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, your realization of when storytelling became important to you and, and then also like how you work it into your speaking and, and, and working with the people that you coach? Yeah, there's, there's two points there that you just crossed. So the fact that these mashups, I love the way you put that. And it, it, there's a quote that says, how you do anything is how you do everything. And somewhere along the way that I started connecting these pieces. And, I, and for me, it, it all started with taking control of my health and fitness. And once I, that, and this, and I don't know if just the background as an actor, anybody think about that, like a dancer, a painter, any artist it's this meticulous thing to show up every day and work on their art. One of my favorite books is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he talks about that, that willingness to show up every day. And I think that, that acting, whether the acting part and the fitness part prepped me for this life. You know, those four years in New York City, I'd go to three or four auditions a day knowing I'm going to hear no way more than I hear yes. No clue that that was preparing me for my life as an entrepreneur, that I was going to that the no wasn't going to scare me anymore. Cause I'm like, well, whatever. That's just always, I know I'm going to hear no way as an actor, you know, you're going to hear no way more than yes. And most people, I was gifted with that blessing, not knowing it at the time that I had friends that were in other jobs. And they're like, how do you do that every day? Like you go and they say, thank you. You never hear from it again. I'm like, I don't know this is what you do. 
you go in, you give it your best swing and, and you come out, you know, the next day, like you just keep showing up. As far as I didn't know story was so important to me. When I started my business initially in, in, with health and fitness, it was 2007, 2008. So we're talking early social media. And I tried to do all the, the traditional network marketing things of, hey, I got a space and we're going to have a meeting. And like nobody was showing up in New York. So I was working on a TV show. And anybody that's ever worked in TV or if you don't know, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And I was working on Ugly Betty on ABC. I had a buddy of mine that was uh, one of the leads in it that I'd gone to college with. They'd moved the show from LA to New York. And he's like, hey, do you want a gig? They need them. Um, the show is set in a fashion magazine. They want the same employees every day there. I was like, yeah, that's how I got my SAG card. It was, a, it was a steady paycheck as an actor. And so what I started doing is with all this downtime, I take my laptop out and I was like, all right, well, maybe there's a way to find people that might want to do, like help have my health help with health and fitness on Facebook. Right. And so this was right when Facebook had kind of opened up to everybody. I, I missed it when it was just in college. I, you know, I was older than that. So I started playing around on there and I started having a lot of success. And then eventually my dad, who's been in real estate for 30 plus years, starts seeing what I'm doing. And he's like, Hey, can you come teach my real estate agents? He was a broker. And he's like, can you come teach my agents to do what you do? And I was like, they want to lose some weight. He's like, no, he's like, you do such a great job of just leading with you. You don't lead with your program or your supplements or beach body, or he's like, people just fall in love with you. And then they don't even know what they, what you do, but they just know they want to be around you. And that's where we're sometimes we're so close to what we do naturally or what we've been working on, or we see something that we've worked on in another compartment of our lives that shows up in this other area. And that was the first moment I took a step back and looked at what I was doing. And I was like, oh, I'm just doing what I always knew as an actor that now had come naturally to me because as a professional actor for over a decade by that point, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And so I start looking and seeing how most real estate agents do their business. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know any of these people. I know who their broker is. I know they have for sale signs but I don't know you. And so I started going in and working with those agents to help them find like a, a personal story of something they overcame, even if it had nothing to do with real estate, because I was like, look, I've watched my parents for 30 years. And I know it's not if there's a hiccup in your whole real estate transaction, it's when. And what if we told a story about how you, Mr. Real Estate Agent, overcame something as in your adolescence or as a childhood or in your adult life that lets me know when things go sideways in this deal, you're the person that I want in my foxhole because you've already set the expectation. Hey, I'm not going to be the agent that promises nothing's going to go wrong. I'm going to be the agent that's going to promise you when it does, you're going to want me on your side and we're going to get through this. And that was the first step outside of just doing it for myself that I realized, oh, there were other people that I can help do this as well. Mm. So many questions, but I want to ask you about something you just said right there because I think it's an insight that people listening, we, we really need to take a moment, kind of step back and rewind there. Because I think a lot of people struggle with this idea of personal storytelling. And I wish we had about five hours to get, to get into this. But, you know, they think like, I don't have a story that's interesting. Uh, you know, they also might say something, you know, and you just brought this up as an example. Like, I don't have an exact story that is in my business that illustrates what I want it to do. And you kind of just talked about that and gave a great example. You know, and I'd love for you to share a little bit that that technique that you just used where you can tell a story that has a similar emotion or a similar arc, but isn't really related directly to what you're talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and that's Absolutely. It. It's, it's like when I get done with my keynote speech or when I'm working with one of my workshops and I share the story of first grade, Jimmy. And I'm like, okay, what does first grade and me in pajamas singing a Christmas song have to do with what I do working with entrepreneurs? Nothing and everything. Because you know why this is important to me, right? And so we've worked on this before. I think if you can tell me a story about why you're a normal person, just like I am, you've struggled with something. It doesn't even have to be what's in your, what your occupation is. But then you tell me a way that you overcame that. You, you tell me something about yourself. Like you're letting me know you. 
And we, that's why I feel like personal storytelling is the fastest way to create no like, and trust with an audience. And who do people do business with? People they know, like, and trust. And if you'll share me, show me a little bit of your personal side, maybe be a little vulnerable with me. Show me some of your wounds. Either show me how you overcame something or just something where you messed up once and you're like, man, I never want to be that guy again. Or I never, you know, I went through this and I messed this up. I never want you to have to deal with the pain that I dealt with. So let me work with you. And there's so many stories there and it doesn't have to be. There's times I'm so thankful for my story. There's times I wish a hundred pound weight loss wasn't a part of my story because that's where people go. Oh, I need a seven figure story. I need a hundred pound weight loss. I need a, I climb Mount Everest. And I'm like, no, really, man, if you'll just tell me the one little time that, you know, somebody disappointed you or you disappointed somebody or something went sideways and then you came through that, those are the things that are going to resonate because really, and you said it too, when we're telling our story, we're, they're really not even thinking about what we went through. They're thinking about an emotion that they dealt with as well. If I talk about me in New York City, passing out chocolates in Times Square, looking at these billboards, thinking that's where I was supposed to be, you and the audience are just thinking about a time in your life where you felt behind, like you were supposed to be further along than where you were. And that's, man, when somebody finds themselves in your story emotionally, that's game over, like game over. Cause you're like, okay, this person understands how I feel, even if our details are different. Well, Jimmy, as we come to an end here, I've got two more questions. And the first is, I guess, less of a question and more of an, an opportunity. Uh, where can I listeners learn more about you? I understand you might have a free gift for them uh, that you can talk about, but where can people learn more about coach Jimmy, more about storytelling and everything that you do and, and bring to this world? Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad this is where we ended with this because the number one question I get all the time is, Jimmy, I don't even know if I have a story. And so what I put together is a checklist. You can go to storywellcrafted.com and get my checklist. What it is, it's literally my personal checklist of what makes a good story. What it does is it just helps you maybe think of some stories that you haven't thought of before. And what that means is you can start figuring out where that personal story ties into what you do with your product and service. So just go to storywellcrafted.com and you can get that for free. Uh, thank you, Jimmy. And as we come to a close here, I want you to think back to that little first grade Jimmy and that kind of funny outfit at the front of the stage. And if he saw you today, ran into you today, what do you think he'd say? He'd be really proud. He'd be really proud. And because he would see that he had an impact, that he mattered, that he was seen, and that he'd be super proud. And that is Coach Jimmy Nelson. So many gold nuggets in that conversation. There is no treading water in life. Loved Jimmy's insight that you can't argue with my story. No one can argue with your story. His little story about talking about tapping on his leg to celebrate, to give self-praise. I think that's something I'm going to take away from this personally and going to start doing as I'm tapping my leg right now because I'm very excited about how I'm delivering this end of episode outro. And I think the number one insight that really is blowing my mind is that you will be rewarded in public for what you do in private. Look, there is no overnight success. Everyone that you see being successful has been working very, very hard behind closed doors to get there. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It was such a treat to talk with Jimmy and hear how he grinds every day to work towards his best self, as well to find out who he can really become. I know I'm looking forward to seeing Where's Jimmy's going? And I ask you, what version of yourself is in your potential? Big, big thank you to Coach Jimmy. We will link to all things Coach Jimmy in the show notes, link to his extremely valuable story checklist and his Instagram. And if you don't follow Jimmy on Instagram, start today. 
I thoroughly enjoy the lean coach Jimmy lifting massive amounts of weight like some Norwegian strongman. It really is cool. Follow him on Insta. You won't be disappointed. And if you know of a guest who should appear on our show, please drop me a line at podcast at wildstory.com. Our best guests, like Jimmy, come from referrals from past guests and our listeners. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny.